You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 11, Mentors, Your Mother is Your First. Thank you. Mentors, you kind of came up with this idea for this podcast. What did you have in mind when you wanted us to talk about mentors? To me, mentors are a critical part of a person's life because it can actually change the direction that you take and even the approach you take to living, especially when you've been raised in a certain way and taught to believe a certain thing, which you've, for much of your life, you have it and you don't question it. And then you meet someone perhaps inadvertently, perhaps not, that simply by being who they are, show you a different way. It was critical for me in my life. I don't know how much of an effect it has on others, but I believe that outside of your parents or outside of your immediate family, there can be one or two or three, depending on how many you encounter in your life, individuals who can change the course of your life and also perhaps put you in touch with something within you that you weren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. just by them being themselves and, and communicating. So that's where the whole mentor idea came from. That, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, I, I count at least six, seven, eight mentors in my life, and I'm counting people I've met as well as artists that have inspired me in certain ways deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've even talked, you and I, about the idea of the first mentor maybe being kind of our mothers, yeah. right, who we've learned from. So if, say, your mother was your first mentor, what would you say you learned from her as a piece of wisdom that's carried you through life? I have to be honest. There's nothing that comes immediately to my mind in terms of a teaching specifically. I look at it more from a nurturing aspect than an actual teaching. And I don't think I'd be a good example because... I didn't have the type of childhood that was conducive to, uh, wow, I just got tongue-tied here. (laughs) But I hear what you're saying, and if I can interpret what you're saying, whatever, tongue-tied or not, what you're getting at is the first lesson is the lesson of compassion, because if anything, that's what mothering is, isn't it? It's, It's an act of compassion, deep compassion for another human being. So, Except that there's a certain antithesis here, because... In my own life, I think I taught my mother compassion. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Role reversal. As crazy as that sounds. Really? Uh, how, how so? I'm almost speechless because the depth of what I'm saying is really hitting me. No, I get it. I get it. What we're getting at here, by your being a little tongue-tied about it, is that the depth of a relationship that a, that a mother and a son or daughter have that provides a kind of teaching which is not conscious so much but it's very, very deep down. And even though you may not see her as a model, consciously, unconsciously, because of our connection to our mothers, we do see them as models in different ways. My mother, for example, uh, you know, just in watching her, I could see how she was the center of the larger family. She would organize dinners and bring the family together to have a dinner and we'd all meet each other and stay connected as family. When she passed away, that stopped. 
and the family in some ways became dispersed and not as close. So, you know, what that wisdom for me is keep your community close, stay close to your community, stay connected to people. And so in, in some ways, I think in retrospect, that's what she gave me as a lesson, but not consciously, just by being who she was. What I remember about my mother was that we got along very well, but I spent a lot of time with my mother comforting her, either through conversation or through my actions. I don't remember her taking the lead specifically. I would say mothers are not mentors particularly, but they're somehow their models just through the compassion they have for their children, giving birth to them, period is a major sacrifice. And so we learned that sacrifice is at the beginning of everything in some right, ways, right. right? But now as we're speaking, yes, there were things that I got from my mother. I learned how to handle adversity, not to give up on things easily, not to be held back. My mother could find work on a whim. If she lost a job, she'd be on the phone and act as if nothing ever happened. She also held the family together in her own way. Uh, when my father was down and out because of his illness, she always convinced him that everything was going to be okay. And because of the, uh, the situation, I also, I think it was inadvertent. It wasn't that I learned it so much from what I witnessed. I learned it more from what I experienced, and that is a great respect for women, uh, which stays with me to this day. Right. For me, for example, my, my father passed away when I was 13. So in some ways, I looked for mentors that were male in my lifetime after my mother, after leaving home. Right. Instead of sort of finding mother-related mentors, I found father-related mentors through my life. And so as I compiled a list of my mentors for this podcast, male after male after male came up, whether they were writers or philosophers or personal friends. They're all males. So, for example, one of the earliest mentors I had was my friend uh, Nick, who put me on to Carlos Castaneda in his books that right. came out, I guess, in the in the 70s, mainly. Yes, I'm familiar with the author. And the book's really talking about the world of the known and the world of the unknown and this uh, yaki Indian uh, shaman or wizard. <laughs> uh, and, and all of those worlds, it started to blow my reality out of the water as I read those books and discussed them with my friend. So in that sense, he became a kind of mentor. We were kind of equal intellectually, and etc., but... He seemed to have a mind that was more open than mine in terms of trying out new things, whether it was drugs or whether it was books about um, yaki Indian sorcerers. He became a kind of mentor to me and still is in some ways to this day, so many years later. Uh, Actually, there's been males in my life as well. So I think that I was drawn to certain types not so much for their intellectual or technical or other ability, but more about their personality and the way they viewed the world. So the mentors in my life were all relatively kind, open-minded men who were masculine, but yet were in touch with their, for lack of a better term, feminine side mm -hmm. and could articulate their thoughts without diminishing their masculinity. And I really respected that because in the world that I grew up in, it was quite a distinction between men and women, the social expectations. My first significant mentor that I recall was a Polish Catholic priest when I was in grade school. I was six at the time. 
his name was Father Schoolmouse. Perhaps he should remain unnamed, but anyway, I just said it. <laughs> Too late. Um, and he was just a priest that would take us, a handful of children, to the local ravine or to a local park, and he just would talk to us about things around us, not about religion, not about the apostles and things, which I, for some reason, didn't enjoy from a very early age. I was never drawn to that part of my Catholic upbringing. To me, he was kind of the way I viewed a priest, a certain level of humility, a real desire to connect with people, not just a facade. But it just occurred to me that as you're talking that we should distinguish what a mentor gives to people. It isn't enough that a mentor uh, passes on knowledge of nature or whatever. Right. You can get that knowledge in all kinds of places. They're passing on a, a wisdom of a certain kind, a worldview of a certain kind, which maybe you haven't experienced before. And you're trying it on because there's something about this person that is very attractive in a way. And you see that they see something, that they've got an angle on things, which is really, it strikes a chord and you want to learn more about it. And, you know, for example, one of my mentors is an East Indian sage by the name of Jiddu Krishnamurti. Okay. And he was discovered as a child by the theosophists in the early 20th century on a beach in India. And they immediately saw, quote unquote, the next world teacher. They saw this kid and they said, this little boy, his aura tells us that he is going to be the next world teacher or Maitreya. So they got his father's permission to give him a, a British education, raised him, taught him all the spiritualities of the world, meditation, yoga, the whole thing groomed him to become a world teacher. And they even started up an organization called the Order of the Star of the East. And he was the star of the East. And on the day of the inauguration of this gigantic association, 75,000 people strong. He stood up in front of these people as a 20-something, having been groomed since childhood, and he said to them, I hereby disband this organization. I am nobody's guru. You are your own guru. Have a good day. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but it was a famous speech where he basically said, the age of the guru is over. So it's something about his life and him doing that, which really struck me as being quite an amazing thing, that he could break out of his conditioning, the education, all of the propaganda, so to speak, that he would be subjected to. He could step out of that. He freed say, himself. I'm free. You're free. You don't need me. You don't need anyone. And one of his famous phrases is, I maintain that truth is a pathless land and you cannot approach it by any path whatsoever, by any religion, by any sect. And that was one of the things he shared for 60 years until he died at the age of 91. So he was a mentor to me big time. And I really, I go back to him every now and then and read what he writes because he cuts through the bullshit. He really cuts through it to the heart of who we are as human beings and what our relationship is to the world outside and inside. So that's what a mentor can do, can, can just make you rethink everything at a stroke of a sentence or a thought. Yes, and actually, in my case, without mentioning all the specifics of various mentors, there's been perhaps three or four, a couple that I remember extremely well, but they all shared an optimism uh, an openness, a willingness to explore beyond their own so-called boundaries that they were raised with. Yeah. The other interesting thing about mentors that I've noticed <laughs> in my life 
is that mentors are not perfect human beings. They have their own problems. They have their own issues. I had a mentor who's passed away now three years ago, who's a wonderful guy, but a very complicated being. He was an astrologer. He had a drinking problem. He was a womanizer. How many wives and kids all over the damn place? But what set him apart was his ability to understand the world from a larger perspective, from a stellar, if you could say it, perspective, being an astrologer. And the passion he brought to that and the feelings he had, uh, the feeling of sadness he had about the world and its condition, that he held the world's condition on his shoulders as he walked through his days. So no wonder he had these difficulties and problems and turned to drink to dampen down that feeling of, of the world on his shoulders. But, you know, he taught me many things over the course of our relationship. I was an editor to a, a magazine he published uh, we were good friends. I was a student of his in a study group, a Rudolf Steiner study group. Steiner is another one of my mentors in a way. This fellow was not a perfect human being, and yet he was brilliant in his own way, and many people saw him as mentors, including myself. So you never know where they're going to come from or who they are, and I think expecting your mentor to be perfect is a big, big error, big mistake. You mentioned it now, but that was also one of the qualities that drew me to my own mentors. It wasn't about the adversity in their life. It was the fact that they still maintained a positive attitude. Hmm. Even if they did have the problems, even if they were going through divorces, even if they were losing children, somehow there was something about them that enabled them to rise above that. I find that I'm still drawn to people like that because a lot of us, give up yeah. when we're confronted with severity. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, the mentors I've had have, have all been adamantly connected to the world, passionate about what they do, and uh, determined to you know, either get their message out, or whether it's to a lot of people or a few, but they're determined to speak their truth, and they're not resigned to the point where they don't think it, it matters whether they speak their truth or not, which is where a lot of people are. They just don't care or they, they don't think it matters. They don't think they matter as individuals. So a lot of these mentors are really what they are, are warriors of optimism, warriors of freedom, going out into the world and, and making a statement about truth and beauty and justice and all that. It takes us back to our, the beginning of our conversation about who we are in relation to our mothers and what we've learned and what we've taken from that relationship. So each, each person has their own unique world of mentorship. And as we say, I think it does come out of our relationship to our mother early on, however it was. Yes. Right? It angles us in certain directions in life and we meet certain people. Yes. Because of that, we're attracted to those people and they become mentors. So it's a very cool thing to look into that. And I think it's a brilliant idea talking about this. So I really thank you for bringing this up as a topic for our podcast. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at ConnectingDotsMedia.com.